0: This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. Crews continue to face increased fire activity as they battle two major wildfires in Northern California. The Dixie Fire burning in Butte and Plumas counties has burned at least eight structures. Cal Fire hasn't said if any of those structures were homes. The fire has burned more than 91,000 acres and remains 15% contained. Meanwhile, the Tamarack Fire in Alpine County has crossed the California-Nevada border. That fire has burned nearly 44,000 acres with no containment at this time. While huge fires are burning across the state, in rural areas, even a small brush fire can be devastating. Valley Public Radio's Mari Balaños brings us the story of an unincorporated community in Tulare County, struggling to recover after a fire burned down a lifeline for the community earlier this month.
2: Aziz Hassan walks through the remains of his trailer home and the mini-mart that his family has owned for more than 50 years in Poplar. On July 9th, he says, a power line that ran through a tree in between his property and his neighbors sparked.
3: It caught fire on this tree, the first tree. It flamed that up from on top, started going down. Once it hit the floor, then the CVA garage caught on fire.
2: The CVA is the Central Valley Empowerment Alliance. It's a community-based organization that was supposed to hold a youth vaccination event that day, according to executive director Mari Perez Ruiz. No kids were injured, but the supplies intended for them were destroyed. We expected over 400
1: students to come from all over the area, and we had backpacks filled with supplies, lunch boxes. Uh, we had over a hundred thousand
2: dollars of clothing from Forever 21. While the CVA's garage caught on fire, the only structural damage was on the roof. Still, she says the items inside the garage, including six quinceañera dresses, canned food and school supplies, are unsalvageable.
1: And I, I recognize that even in
2: the midst of all of this, we are one of the luckier ones. Others weren't so lucky. The Porterville Fire Department said the cause of the blaze is still under investigation. What residents know for sure is that within 30 minutes, the fire had destroyed two trailer homes and damaged another house. It also burned Adams Market, the mini-mart that was home to four immigrant-owned businesses. They were the lifeline for people living in the community and surrounding areas. People come from far to shop, to uh, cash their checks, um, to get their hair done, to transfer monies to their um, families families living in Mexico, Central America, and Yemen. She says most residents in Poplar are undocumented and low income. Now the only business left in their community is another small grocery store.
1: Even though we are in the Central Valley, we provide food for the world, we find ourselves in a food desert. And when one of our two grocery stores, the oldest one in town, becomes ashes,
2: it has an impact that is beyond Poplar. Cesar Leonel Cruz Chavez, who rented a room next door to Adams Market, needs to find immediate housing.
4: Right now we're not sleeping there. We're sleeping in our cars.
2: Chavez says he works the night shift at a dairy farm three minutes away. That's where he showers. He then heads to his car to sleep in the record-breaking heat.
3: I waste more gas, <laughs> but I turn on the air conditioning
4: and, well there I am struggling.
2: Marie Perez-Ruiz says the Red Cross offered the displaced people $500 vouchers for hotels. But that only covered about three nights in the area. And she says the community is facing a housing crisis, making it more difficult for Cesar and the other 11 displaced people to find a place to live. Finding housing, you know, the, the only option for many would be to move out of of the community in that that's displacement just because there's no housing available. That's why she says she's reached out to State Senator Melissa Hurtado and County Supervisor Dennis Thompson for help. Senator Hurtado says she will do what she can to connect the community with resources that can help. In the meantime, Perez Ruiz says the community will focus on rebuilding. For The California Report, I'm Mari Bolaños.
0: This story was part of the Central Valley News Collaborative, which is supported by the Central Valley Community Foundation with technology and training support by Microsoft. The utility PG&E says it is planning to bury 10,000 miles of power lines. It's a measure aimed at stopping its equipment from causing more catastrophic wildfires, as it has several times over the past half decade. The announcement comes three days after PG&E filed a report with state regulators indicating its equipment might have caused the Dixie Fire burning near the town of Paradise, the site of the deadly 2018 campfire. I asked 2017 Tubbs Fire survivor Will Abrams for his take. Abrams is also an intervener at the California Public Utilities Commission.
4: I guess my first question is really around the timing of this announcement. I think it's really... Um convenient in terms of a PR message to announce this at the time that fires are raging and evidently caused by PG&E. So I really, you know, question um, the motivations behind announcing this now. That said, I think that there is certainly good news there potentially for undergrounding lines, but it does leave a lot of questions. So one of the questions it happens to be around the funding to pay for this, uh, so they've announced a series of huge rate increases. And so, uh, w- to what extent is this really being covered by ratepayers, and um, how are those costs being covered?
0: And you mentioned the timing of this announcement, just days after PG&E filed an incident report with state utility regulators, which is an indication that PG&E equipment may have caused the Dixie Fire. What was your reaction when you saw that?
4: Yes. I mean, my first reaction was just really sadness around the tragedy that this will befall many in the path of the Dixie Fire and, of course, thinking of the safety of the crews that are going to be going out there to fight the fire, but at the same time, you know, really concerned about what this will mean for victims that are relying upon pg e stock to rebuild their homes and really sort of uh, move on with their lives. And, you know, part of this is anger that victims like me have been put in this position of not wanting to tie our future to the company that burned our homes down and affected our loved ones and our community.
0: And you're referring, for folks who aren't familiar, to the settlement deal between PG&E and seventy thousand fire victims like you, who depend on how pg and shares perform in the stock market for half of your compensation, and we've reported on how slowly that process has gone for so many people. Will I want to end on your most recent project, which is an outgrowth of your experience as a fire survivor? It's called One Are We, and it's kind of like Groupon in Sonoma County, but with some of the money going to local nonprofits. Tell us about it.
4: So really, What Are We? is an outgrowth from these experiences with the fires. It was so heartening for me to see both business and nonprofit and government coming together and rallying behind uh, wildfire survivors and rebuilding our communities. That type of alignment is what we need more and more to really tackle a lot of the challenges of our times. And it's with that same spirit that I've approached this new venture And what we're really trying to do is link up local small businesses with nonprofit organizations so that as small businesses succeed, so do the nonprofits and the communities that they support. So at the end of the day, it is this win-win scenario where the people who shop there get a discount on goods and services within their community. The businesses are able to drive more sales and more traffic to their local business, and the nonprofits get all this great fundraising in an unrestricted way to really support their organizations.
0: That was William Abrams, who escaped the 2017 Tubbs fire with his family. By the way, the price tag for the undergrounding of power lines, 15 to $30 billion, equivalent to half of PG&E's value as an enterprise.
3: That's right, a dollar and ninety nine cents. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. Hey QED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more.
0: Turning to immigration, U.S. Senator Alex Padilla is pushing for a pathway to citizenship for undocumented essential workers, including farm workers. The Farm Workforce Modernization Act was at the center of a Senate subcommittee hearing Padilla held yesterday. The legislation would provide a temporary visa and a multi-year path to permanent status for undocumented farm workers. Padilla says in California that's roughly two-thirds of the agricultural workforce. Farmers in California, not just in California, but especially in California, struggle every year to hire as many farm workers as they need to pick major crops. The bill passed the House of Representatives in March with bipartisan support, but has failed to advance in the Senate. A popular conservative talk show host will appear as a candidate in California's upcoming recall election. KQED's Katie Orr says the legal ruling was one of two issued yesterday
3: regarding the race. Talk show host Larry Elder was initially left off the official candidate list after the secretary of state found a problem with the tax returns he was required to file in order to run. But a Sacramento judge has ruled Elder substantially complied with the requirement. In fact, the judge said the tax return law doesn't apply since this is a recall, not a primary election. In a separate hearing, a judge found that former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner, another recall candidate, can't describe himself as retired San Diego mayor in his three-word ballot description. For the California Report. I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
0: California is trying to cut down on organized retail theft. Videos of groups openly stealing from department stores and running out to waiting cars have gone viral online and put pressure on law enforcement, despite overall decreasing crime rates. KQED's Kate Wolf has more. A new law signed by Governor Gavin Newsom
3: this week will strengthen an arm of the California Highway Patrol that helps local police investigate retail crime incidents in the Bay Area, Orange County, San Diego area, and Inland Empire. It also reestablishes organized retail theft as a crime. These are cases where groups have stolen merchandise to resell it, and the law against it lapsed at the beginning of July the governor emphasized that the state is also investing in social services and violence prevention programs. We are not going to back up on our commitment to reform. At the same time, we're not going to walk away from accountability either. Despite heightened public focus on retail theft, data show robberies in California have decreased overall in the past year. For The California Report, I'm Kate Wolf.
0: And that is the California Report for this Thursday, July 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali.
4: Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org/voices. Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And SFMOMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org.